are in the last week of Jesus' life, and not just in the last week of Jesus' life, but we are in uh, these passages of Scripture that deal with Jesus with his disciples at the Last Supper on the night that he was betrayed. Indeed, in Scripture, there are five chapters in the book of John that deal specifically, five whole chapters that are just the conversation that occurred with Jesus and his disciples at the Last Supper in the room together. And that's where we are continuing to journey through this. We come to this passage, and if you recall, if you were here last week, the disciples were troubled, and Jesus seeks to give them an encouraging truth. He tells them that he's making a place for them. The conversation continues, and he begins to talk to them about the work of the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit. And then the conversation shifts to another topic, and then it shifts to another topic, and then it comes back to the Holy Spirit, and then it shifts to another topic, and then it comes back to the Holy Spirit again. So we're going to string several of these passages together this morning as we look at Jesus' teaching on the ministry of the Holy Spirit here this morning. I think in terms of the members of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, there is no member of the Trinity for whom there is more confusion and bizarreness than that of the Holy Spirit. Here is what the word of the Lord says. This is the largest teaching on the Holy Spirit in all of Scripture. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus writes to his, says to his disciples, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father." Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. He continues, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Skipping down to verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. Whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine, and he will declare it to you. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing on his word. Father, we pray that you would send your spirit, and that by sending your spirit, Lord, you would awaken your spirit within us, and Father, that you would bring to remembrance your words, and that you would make them fresh to us and alive in us. And Lord, the things that are said this morning that are not of you, would you drive them far from our hearts and drive them far from our minds? But Lord, would you, your Spirit work in us that we might follow in the work of the Spirit and glorify Christ as he himself glorifies Christ. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen. Regarding the ministry of the Holy Spirit, 
in the midst of much sought-after enthusiasm, there is a concern that has arisen, namely, that the ministry of the Holy Spirit has become Christian-centered instead of Christ-centered. That the ministry of the Holy Spirit has become Christian-centered instead of Christ-centered. I could give you a list, a long list, of many of the different ways that this is getting expressed in our culture, in our own community, and in our world today, but I will read you someone else's list. This is a guy named Artazerdia, who is a Hispanic pastor in Northern California, pastor of a non-denominational church there. And this is what he writes. He says, how should clear-headed Christians regard the many diverse activities that are presently being claimed in the name of the Holy Spirit. Of course, some would suggest that to even pose such a question is irreverent at best and blasphemous at worst. To the contrary, because truth invites scrutiny. Only error fears close examination. So again I ask, What are we to think about the current claims of phenomenal experiences that are being ascribed to the Spirit of God? For example, and he's going to list a wide range of stuff here, and he's not saying which is true, which is not. He's just saying here's the scope of what's happening in our country. For example, some believers apparently speak in ecstatic languages as a consequence of the Spirit's ministry. Others claim to hear the audible voice of the Holy Spirit. Certain Christians affirm multiple encounters of His baptizing work. Still others stake their ministries on spirit-given prophecies regarding the future. On occasion, I have observed well-known, a well-known faith healer remove his suit coat and wave it across the front of an audience. As a result, hundreds of people fall to the ground, all, we are assured, as an affirmation of the Spirit's presence and power. In fact, it is not uncommon for this same man to turn his attention to a pre-selected individual and shout, Boo! thus knocking him backwards into the arms of waiting, well-placed men. Displays such as these are described as definitive verifications of the Spirit's anointing on the healer himself. Though amazing to some, they are not an unusual phenomenon. They can be observed daily and nightly on Christian television in America. Moreover, it appears that an evolution in the intensity of these phenomena is taking place, an evolution towards greater excessiveness. We now hear of Christians barking in the Spirit, laughing in the Spirit, and even vomiting in the Spirit. And so in the midst of this, there is this whirlwind of confusion around what is the nature of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And in the midst of a search for ecstatic religious experiences, in the midst of a search for a personal encounter and a personal experience what has happened in particular when it comes to the ministry of the Holy Spirit is that it has become distorted by becoming Christian-centered instead of being Christ-centered. So what exactly does the Holy Spirit do and what is his role in the life of the Christian? Indeed, this passage of Scripture here, as I mentioned, is the most extensive uh, explanation and teaching on the role of the Holy Spirit in the, in the Bible. And in this, there is a lot that the Spirit, that the Scripture says about the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian, and also the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the non-Christian. Now, for your sake and for mine, partway through last night, I decided to cut this message in half, 
Um, and just to deal today with what is the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian, and we'll come back to the non-Christian at another point in time. Text here uses the term to describe in the Holy Spirit that he is the counselor, that the Holy Spirit is the helper. Actually, he's referred to as another helper. Jesus being the first counselor, the Holy Spirit is another helper. The counselor, the spirit of truth, and what does he do? Three things we're going to see here is that this Holy Spirit, in the life of the individual Christian, he gives his presence, he gives his truth, and he gives his fruitfulness. His presence is truth and his fruitfulness. Let's dive in and take a look at this. To the Christian, he gives his presence. Now, last week, we saw that Jesus was with his disciples at this dinner that goes on for five chapters. And as they were gathered around, the disciples were troubled. And Jesus said to them, let not your hearts be troubled. And they were troubled in part because Jesus is telling them that they're going to die, that uh, one of them is going to betray him, that he's going to die, that the spirit, um, one of them is going to betray them, he's going to die, that the rest of them are going to deny him. And all these things are going to occur and that Jesus himself is going to leave them. And Jesus comes to them and he says to them, let not your hearts be troubled. And here's the encouragement that we examined last week. Let not your hearts be troubled because I am preparing a place for you. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I told you that I go to prepare a place for you? That he goes to prepare a home for you. The second truth that Jesus gives to his disciples to encourage their troubled hearts is that not only does, the, does Jesus prepare a place for you, but Jesus also prepares a place in you. Not only for you, but he prepares a place in you. Several verses later, Jesus responds, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him, and we will make our home with him. It's the same word that was used earlier to describe the place that Jesus is preparing for us in our Father's house. And so what Jesus teaches is that what he is doing is he's making a place, not only a dwelling place, not only for us, but making a dwelling place in us. He states this more clearly a couple of verses earlier. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. You know him, for he dwells with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, that the Holy Spirit that Jesus sends, not only comes alongside of us, but dwells within us. One of the most devastating thoughts that any of us can have, particularly in the midst of a crisis, there's crises in life where maybe you find out that your finances are a total disaster, you've lost all of your money, or the crises that come through the suffering of this life from illness, job loss, family conflict. And in the midst of this, one of the most devastating thoughts is to look around in the midst of the crisis and to look at and say, you know what? I've got no one. Like, I am completely and utterly alone. Like, there is no one who can help me, no one who can come alongside me, no one who's going to advocate for me. I am completely... I am completely and totally alone. And then what happens is that after the thought of I am alone, I've got no one with me, comes the self-pity. And after the self-pity comes the thoughts of not only am I alone, not only by myself, but no one even cares. 
no one notices, and no one even cares. And for the Christian, this can be, these can be common feelings, but they are lies. Because when a Christian parent is caring for a sick child, that parent is never alone. When a Christian is standing in the midst of divorce proceedings, or they are standing over a fresh grave, or they have suffered at the hands of abuse again and again, or when they are laying in a hospital bed staring at the ceiling and staring at death itself, or when they go home and they are sitting in an empty house night after night, and the only thing that is close to them is the darkness and the sounds of the creaking, aching house, or when a Christian is walking through the halls of their school or around campus, or possibly even walking through the halls of this church, and they feel that they are completely and totally alone, and they say, you know what, nobody notices, nobody cares. Even when it does not feel like Christ's presence is close to us, what Scripture testifies is that the Spirit is with us, And he is within us. For Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. I will never forsake you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What this means is that, Christian, you are not alone. For his spirit gives you his presence. It's not only that but he also gives his truth. Verse 13 of chapter 16 says, Where the spirit of truth is, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine, and he will declare it to you. What is the goal of the Holy Spirit working in us. What is the work of the Holy Spirit, and what is the goal of the Holy Spirit working in us? It is to glorify Jesus Christ. Is that the Spirit of truth would work in our lives to lead us into all truth so that we would glorify Christ and do so increasingly. Chapter 15, verse 26. Actually, we'll stay here in verse 14. What does the Spirit do? Here is his goal. He takes what is Christ. And he makes it known to you. He declares it to you. Chapter 15. What does the Spirit do? The Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. That the sole aim and the sole goal of the Holy Spirit and the whole sole work of the Holy Spirit in your life, if you're a Christian here today, is for you to know Jesus Christ. He exists to glorify Jesus. And he exists to work in your life so that your life would increasingly glorify Jesus Christ. Now what we want is we want the Holy Spirit to tell us who it is that we're supposed to marry, what type of career we're supposed to get, what type of career we're supposed to get, what we're supposed to major in college. We want the Holy Spirit to tell us what house we're supposed to buy or, or which which accounts that we should invest in so that we get an enormous rate of return so we have lots and lots of money when we're we're ready to retire. And yes, we should pray for wisdom and discernment in all of those decisions. 
but the Holy Spirit exists not to be your personal genie. And he exists not to make you successful and to increase your glory. But the Holy Spirit exists for you to know Jesus Christ more deeply and more intimately, and that you would glorify him with your whole life, and that you would live for him. And he guides you into all truth, not so that you can pass the calculus test that you didn't study for, but he guides us into all truth so that you would have a deeper knowledge and understanding of everything that is necessary for life and godliness in Jesus Christ. You see, the Holy Spirit's message to us and his work within us is never, you know what, let's be friends. And let me work in your life so that you can get to know you a little bit more and that way you can figure out you because I'm just all about you figuring out you for you so that you know you. The Holy Spirit's work is also not to glorify himself. And that the Holy Spirit's work is also not to say, hey, listen to me. Why don't you get to know me, the Holy Spirit? Why don't you look to me all the more? No, the role in the work of the Holy Spirit is this, is that he works in our heart and he works in our lives so that he would say to us, look at Jesus. Seek his glory. See his glory. Listen to him. Listen to his truth, for he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one in whom truth is embodied and manifested. Get to know the one who is light and life. Know the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that disappointing to you? I mean, you know, I mean, I like me. And I think God should like me. And I, I would really like the Holy Spirit to be the one that's in my life being like, you're so awesome. You're so amazing. You're so amazing. Right? And Willem feeling down saying, you can do it. You can do it because you're great. So glad you're on my team. And so we look at this and we say that the Holy Spirit exists to, to, this Holy Spirit exists to glorify Jesus Christ. And we're like, oh, well, what about me? Friends, you, you don't know what you're missing is that the Holy Spirit exists to glorify Christ because the thing that is most needed in our life is for Jesus to become bigger and bigger and bigger in our life. That we would know the extent and satisfaction of who he, the depth of who he is and what he has done and what he has accomplished. And the Spirit exists and he works in us that we would know Jesus more deeply and more intimately. J.I. Packer said, The Spirit is the matchmaker. He is the celestial marriage broker. He's, a, he's, a, <laughs> he's the celestial e-harmony, right? He is the matchmaker, the celestial marriage broker, whose role it is to bring us and Christ together and ensure that we stay together. That the Spirit's work is to bring us to Christ and to ensure that our Christian journey remains Christ-centered and not Christian-centered. Because he leads us into truth, into the truth and knowledge of who Jesus is. Let's lean this into this aspect a little bit more. About exactly how the Spirit works to lead us into deeper truth. What does the Spirit do and how does the Spirit do this? Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he's with his disciples and he says to them this. And the word that you hear is not mine but the Father who sent me. 
these things that I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Why does Jesus say that the Holy Spirit is going to come to His disciples, to the apostles, and teach them all things and bring to remembrance all that Jesus has said? Why does He say do that? Well, certainly so that they can grow in their relationship with God, certainly. Right? But why do the disciples need to bring to remembrance all that Jesus taught and all that Jesus did? Why do they need to remember this? Because they are the ones who are going to write it down. And so he says the Spirit is coming so that through you it will bring all things to remembrance so that they can write down the person and work of Jesus Christ, and write down his teaching so that you and I would have the Word of God and that the Spirit would work through the Word of God in our lives, in your life, and in my life. What ends up happening is that every book of the New Testament is either written by an apostle or written under direct oversight by one of the apostles themselves. And here's what happens. Scripture testifies. Peter says, here's how Scripture comes about. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The way this works is not that the Peter and the other apostles had a notepad and they're like, okay, got it, got it. Could you repeat that one? Got it, got it. Okay, I, I, I got it. That's not the way it works. The way it works, as John tells us, is the way that it works is that they spent this time with Jesus And as Jesus gave them all this teaching that the Holy Spirit brought to remembrance, Jesus is teaching that they sat down and they wrote out for us. Why? Because God has given us his word, which is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Why did they need to remember it? Because they had a specific task to do to write the New Testament so that you and I could have the Word of God and know the truth of God. Okay, so let's go back to these opening concerns. We want the Holy Spirit to tell us what job to get, what we should major in in college, which house to buy, for example. Do you want to know what God's will is for your life? Then you need to know God's Word. You want to know what's most important in life then you need to know God's Word. You want to know what you're to live for, how to prioritize your decisions. You need to know God's Word and ask the Spirit of Truth to lead you into a greater knowledge of Jesus Christ that you would come to realize that indeed, not only is Jesus adequate, but he is sufficient. And not only is he sufficient, but that he is more than sufficient and the thing that you most need in your life so that you can live for his glory and not for your own. So the Spirit gives to us his presence and he gives to us his truth that we would know Jesus Christ. The Spirit also gives his fruitfulness. Surprising verse, chapter 14, verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, Jesus says to his apostles, about whoever believes will do the works that I do, and greater works than these 
will he do because I am going to the Father. Now, what does that mean that anyone who believes in Jesus will do greater works than Jesus himself has done? What are these greater works? Well, it's not things that are more spectacular. I mean, it's hard to imagine anything more spectacular than what Jesus did, right? I mean, it's hard to imagine something more spectacular than calling someone who's been dead for four days out of a tomb, right? I mean, it's hard to imagine something more spectacular than Jesus feeding 5,000 men plus women and children uh, on a hillside. It's hard to imagine something more spectacular than seeing someone who's been lame from birth get up and start jumping around and dancing. I mean, hard to imagine something more spectacular than someone who was blind from birth all of a sudden gaining their sight and being able to see leaves and colors for the very first time and the joy that overwhelms them because they can finally see. Like, it's hard to imagine something more spectacular than any of those things or Easter morning itself. So what does he mean by doing greater works? It doesn't mean greater in that they're going to be more spectacular. It means greater in two senses. Greater in terms of scope and greater because of the age, which we'll come back to in a second. They will be greater in terms of the scope and the extent of the works. Imagine that if there was no Holy Spirit and only Jesus working. Today, Jesus rose from the grave and he hung out and he just kept hanging out in Jerusalem. Every airline and train and roadway and path to Jerusalem would be completely booked for years to come, and there'd be immense gridlock. And then even if you got to see Jesus, I mean, he could only see a couple hundred, maybe a couple thousand people a day, and you get your one chance at life, and you get a few seconds with him, and then you're good, and then you're off before someone else has got to rotate through. Prior to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, there were millions of people who ignored God. However, after the work of Jesus Christ, now billions of people across our globe know Jesus Christ and know him personally, know him intimately, know him relationally, and continue to give the exact same testimony, which is, I'm not only a Christian, I don't just simply follow the way of Jesus, but I know the living and resurrected Savior of the world who is the Lord of the universe. I personally know him. And that is happening across the globe. And that is why the works that his followers would do would be greater, because it's greater in scope and greater in extent. They're also greater because we live in a greater age than that which Jesus lived in. We live in a greater age than that which Jesus lived in. And the key to understanding this comes in chapter 4, verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than, and greater works than these will he do. Why? Because I am going to the Father. Jesus says, something greater is going to happen when I leave. And Jesus tells his disciples who are concerned about his leaving, what are they going to do? Jesus says to them, listen, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus says, it's better that I leave so that the Holy Spirit can come. Now, the thought here is not that there is this like 
I don't know, this metaphysical conflict like oil and water that, like, where Jesus is, like, the Spirit can't be, and if Jesus is here, the Spirit's got to be somewhere else. Like, they can't coexist. Like, that's, that's, not, that's, not what's going, that's not what's going on here. Rather, what Jesus is identifying is that if you know your, the Scriptures, is that the Old Testament has been declaring that a day is coming when there would be an outpouring of God's Spirit across the nation of Israel, across the globe, and that people across the globe would come to the worship and knowledge of Jesus Christ, and they would come to know him deeply and come to know him intimately. That the age of the kingdom of God was going to be characterized by the outpouring of the Spirit of God. But that's after the work of Jesus Christ. John makes this clear in chapter 7. This is a, when Jesus is at the Feast of Booths, and there is this water ceremony in the Feast of Booths where the high priest goes down and gets this pitcher of water, and he holds up this pitcher of water, and he quotes, he quotes Old Testament prophecy. In the midst of the Old Testament prophecy, he says you know, that the day is coming, that the Spirit will go forth like water covering from the earth from Jerusalem. It will extend across the globe. And at that moment, Jesus stands up before the crowd of the feast, and he says, Having quoted the Old Testament prophecy about the outpouring of the Spirit, he says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus says, if you believe in me, what will happen is that the Spirit is going to indwell you and it is going to flow out of you across the globe. However, now this he said about the Spirit working in the life of the believer and out whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet, the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Here is the order of things. Is that the Holy Spirit could not be poured out until, as God decided, until the work of Jesus Christ was complete. Why? Because what is the role of the Holy Spirit? It is to testify to the work of Jesus Christ. It is to bring people into the knowledge of what Jesus Christ has done. So the Holy Spirit is not poured out until the work of Jesus Christ is complete. And Scripture makes clear that the kingdom of God is not fully inaugurated until Jesus Christ has come, that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, that he rose from the grave, breaking the power of sin, breaking the power of death, and breaking the power of the devil himself. That his work is not complete, not only until he died and rose again and ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he sat down because his work was completed. And he sat down at the right hand of the Father to enjoy the glory, and indeed a greater glory than he had before the world became, before the world had begun. And once the work of Jesus Christ would be completed, then the Holy Spirit would be sent out. So the reason why those who believe in Jesus would do a greater work is because we now live in a greater age than in the age that Jesus himself walked on the face of this earth. Now, what does that have to do with you and what does it have to do with me? Have you ever thought, you know what, I mean, man, if I could have just been with Jesus, that would have been so amazing. I mean, if I could have 
how wonderful it would have been, you know, to, to walk with him and to hear his teaching. You just see some of these miracles. I mean, my faith would be so strong. And we look at our own faith and the challenges in our own faith and say, you know, when I look at my life and my spiritual journey, how do I feel about my relationship with Jesus right now? I don't know. I feel discouraged. Some days I don't know if it's real or not. Some days that I, I feel, you know, I feel like constantly afraid. I want my life to count for something. You know, I'm hoping things are going to be different, but, but I feel timid, you know, or, or I'm insecure. Like, I, wanted to, I want to live for Jesus, but I, just, I, I, don't, I don't have any confidence about that. But man, if I got to walk with him, if I got to see the miracles, I mean, my faith would have been so much stronger. Now, if you've been with us over the last couple months, let me remind you that at every miracle that Jesus did in the Gospel of John, people who watched Lazarus rise from the grave, there were people there who saw it with their own eyes and did not believe, and those who saw it did not understand. And then you look at the disciples before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and what were they like? They were timid. Peter was a denier. In fact, all of them were deniers. They were, they were cowards. But after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, those who couldn't speak well were speaking to crowds. They were withstanding persecution. They were going to places that they had never visited, and they were testifying, testifying to, to their death. And they would go to death testifying about the risen and resurrected Savior. And so Jesus says to his apostles and his disciples, he says to those who had been there and who had seen everything, and he says to them, there is something better for you. And yet we say, well, you know what? If only I had been there. Have you ever had that thought? Of course you have. Like, of course you have. I mean, wrestling with doubts and discouragement, you're like, man, Jesus, like, if I could, if could just talk about this one, like, work it out, like, it would be so much better. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, have you ever had that thought? Of course you have. For example, you know, Larry King, the CNN talk show host, and he was once asked who he would most want to interview if he could choose anyone from all of history. Guess who he said? Jesus Christ. And then the interviewer asked him, and what would you like to ask Jesus? And Larry King responded, I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born. And the, at, the answer to that question would define history for me. But do you hear what King's saying? He's saying, if only I could be there. If only I could have witnessed it. If only I could have experienced it myself. If only I could have walked with Jesus. But according to Jesus, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the continued ministry of the truth of the Holy Spirit, the fruitfulness of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us is better than walking with Jesus in the flesh. That the Holy Spirit dwelling in you is better than having Jesus beside you. The Holy Spirit dwelling in you is better than having Jesus beside you. Is that you and I, we are able 
to live at a level way beyond Mary and Martha, the disciples, when they walked with Jesus. In fact, if you didn't have the Holy Spirit, if you went back and were able to go back in time and watch Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, it would not be as good or as powerful as having the Holy Spirit in you today. Now, there is lots of sobering application that this brings for us, or lots of application. I think the most sobering application is this, is that if what Jesus says about the ministry of the Holy Spirit is true, that it is better to have the Holy Spirit inside of me than to have Jesus beside me. If what Jesus says is true, what that means is that I have absolutely no excuse for the level at which I'm living my Christian life. And neither do you. I have absolutely no excuse for the level at which I'm living my Christian life, and neither do you. And as I was working on this message, it was challenging because the main application of this passage and the thing that you most need in this, in this passage is completely out of your control and is completely out of my control. In fact, working through this, I've only briefly mentioned a couple different applications. And, you know, as I was thinking through this, I was thinking through how we could have talked about how the Holy Spirit needs to be known individually, but he's experienced communally, and you're not going to walk with the Spirit if you're not in relationship with other Christians. I talked about walking with the Holy Spirit. What exactly does that mean to keep in step with the Spirit? How the gospel and the Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit in our life. But what is most needed is for the active work of the Holy Spirit in your life, and you cannot produce it, and I cannot produce it, and I can't give you ten steps that you can produce it in your life. But there is one thing that you can do, which is what we'll do right now, is that the one thing that you can do is what Jesus said in verse 16. He says, I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And Jesus said to his disciples this, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So let us ask him. Let us pray for the Holy Spirit to be active in our life, that we would know his presence, that we would be aware of his presence, that we would know his truth, that we would live for his truth, that we would walk with the Spirit. Join with me in prayer. I'll pray for a little bit and then give some time that you individually can cry out and ask for the Holy Spirit to awaken in your soul. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and we do ask that you would send your spirit into our hearts. Moreover, Lord, that you would awaken your spirit that you have already placed in our hearts of those that trust in you. Father, I pray that for myself, that you would make me more aware of your presence, Lord, that I would live in the spirit and walk in step with the spirit. And Lord, that your spirit would work in our lives, that we would glorify Jesus Christ. That we would desire to know him, that we would see that knowing Christ more deeply and more intimately is indeed the thing that we most need.
that our lives would be lived not for our own glory, but our lives would be lived for your glory. So, Father, send your spirit, we pray. Now, individually, ask God to send the spirit into your own heart that you would know Jesus more and glorify him more. Father, who can control the wind? For the wind blows where it will. And Father, we ask that you would send your spirit to blow in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, in our souls, that you would awaken your spirit within us, awaken your presence, awaken your truth, that we would live for you and for your glory, that greater things would be done through the working of your spirit in us and through us. There is nothing that we can do to coerce your spirit. And so, Father, we ask out of your mercy and for your glory that you would send him mightily and powerfully. Through the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Please stand with us and sing. Spirit might join in us.